In our gospel reading that we just read this morning, we find Jesus teaching his disciples. And we encounter another occasion where the disciples, as we are often prone to do, they ask Jesus a question that concerns their vision and their goals. But Jesus, with his vision, he sees what really matters. And he pivots and he tells them something unexpected. But it's precisely what they need to hear. What do they do? And for that matter, what do we do with the inevitable human experience of fear? So the scene for our story today is the temple. And while we don't know exactly what the temple looked like, we know that it was pretty grand. It was really, really grand. Um, The Jewish historian Josephus, who was writing around that time, he wrote that it was covered on all sides with massive plates of gold so that persons straining to look at it were compelled to avert their eyes as if from the solar rays. So in other words, you couldn't even look at it because this thing was so radiant. So it's not that hard to imagine people just standing around talking about it, um, just completely overcome by its sheer beauty. But then Jesus reminds them, don't be taken in by all this grandeur, because one day there will be nothing left. And this is a pretty bold, and it's actually a rather dire prediction, right? But the disciples, they actually, they kind of seem pretty excited by this. Because after all, the Jewish prophets, they'd identified signs that would signal that the deliverance of Jerusalem was coming. And the destruction of the temple, it could be one of those signs. So, they ask him the next obvious question. When? When is all this going to happen? When will our vision be realized and our deliverance begin? But Jesus doesn't tell them. He does. He does reveal things to them about their future, just not in the way that they expect. He doesn't give them some sort of roadmap um, and tell them what the future holds. Instead, he starts naming the things that they have to fear so that he can lovingly prepare them for what's to come. In our reading today, when the disciples ask for a sign about the future, Jesus responds instead with these warnings, with warnings. Beware that you are not led astray. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified. So if you take these do nots, uh, the things the disciples shouldn't do, and you flip them around to things that they should do, you get a message that sounds something like this. Do not be led astray by false prophets becomes do be faithful to me. Do not be terrified becomes, do be calm when it seems like the world is falling apart. It's as if Jesus is saying, you ask me to tell you the future, I tell you to be faithful to me. Be calm. And I feel like Jesus probably could have ended the conversation there. That seems sufficient. That would make for a tidy sermon, right? I could just stop there. Uh, When you think about the future, be faithful, be calm. But Jesus doesn't end there. He presses on. And he begins naming the things they have to fear. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes, famines, and plagues, dreadful portents, great signs from heaven. So Jesus certainly doesn't sugarcoat it, right? He acknowledges all of the pain and all of the destruction that will occur from living in this disordered and broken creation. 
And as if this wasn't bad enough, Jesus keeps pressing on and he makes it personal. And you, he tells them, because of me, you will be arrested, persecuted, and imprisoned. You will be betrayed by your closest family and friends. Some of you will even be put to death. So what is Jesus doing here? He's naming their fears. Fears they don't even know they should have. And these are pretty much the worst fears anyone could have, right? Loss of freedom, betrayal, rejection by the people you love the most, death. Why is Jesus doing this? It seems that Jesus is doing this so that he can reassure them with the words that follow. Yes, you will endure these things. But, he tells them, not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. By becoming Jesus' disciples, they were not promised an easy road. Quite the opposite. But by remaining faithful to him through their trials, Jesus tells them, Not that they'll have some really meaningful growth experiences or you'll become even better disciples. He tells them something much more extraordinary. Not a hair of your head will perish. And Jesus can say that because he lived with perfect trust in the Father. The same trust that allowed him to walk through the terror of the cross, knowing that death was not the end, but rather a necessary step to a new and resurrected life. As it turns out, we know that a number of the disciples did face persecution and imprisonment and even death. The things Jesus predicted did come to pass. But I have to imagine that the disciples had the strength and courage to endure them because they could hear the words of Jesus in their ear when facing the cross or the sword or the spear. Not a hair of your head will perish by your endurance You will gain your souls. Last week when we celebrated All Saints Day, I know most of you were here, I think. uh, Father Sean, he preached about Oscar Romero. And he mentioned that it's sometimes hard for us to relate to these saints and their spectacular feats of courage. Similarly, when we look at the disciples and the fears uh, they had to face, imprisonment, martyrdom, we might be tempted to dismiss our own fears as inconsequential by comparison. But fear is part of every human experience. Just before Halloween, uh, I was listening to a read broadcast of an old interview of Stephen King. And I assume everyone here knows who Stephen King is, right? Okay. There's some young people here. Okay, so Stephen King, probably the most famous writer of horror, supernatural thrillers, Uh, But he was asked during this interview that I was listening to um, what he considered to be a frightening movie. And his answer was the movie Iris. Okay, If you're not familiar with it, it's a movie about the writer Iris Murdoch. And he recounts the opening scene as she's trying to remember the word for tree. Which she can't remember because she's suffering from the onset of Alzheimer's disease. Okay, so this... This master of horror with all these terrifying and imaginative stories he's concocted over the years, he revealed that he is most afraid that his mental faculties will diminish, which is something that's a pretty common experience and something that will probably touch many of us at some point. 
Living, living means illness and aging and dying. Loving means we risk losing people. And these things we know can be pretty terrifying. And so we may try and bury our fears and our busyness and our distraction uh, and our hobbies and this constant stream of entertainment that our culture will serve up for us. But as Jesus' disciples, he would have us name our fears. Because when we don't, they can have a way of driving us in ways out of alignment with his will. Now to give you one example, I'm a parent, which as you parents probably know means that I live in a state of perpetual terror that something bad will happen to my children. And of course, as a parent, I'm responsible for making good choices to keep them safe. But sometimes my fear drives me beyond that. And I don't want to let them take reasonable risks that are good for them because I'm parenting out of fear. What I'm really doing is trying to push God aside and step into his shoes, thinking that it's my responsibility to control their environment and steer it toward my preferred end. But knowing that they are God's children first and that he will not let a a hair on their head perish, even if it looks to me like they're in peril, this frees me up to parent with their well-being in mind instead of assuaging my own fear. So what is it that you fear? Getting older? Never achieving what you hoped you would? Letting someone down? Losing someone you love? Being alone? Some fears are justified and helpful because they alert us to real danger, and they point to where we need to exercise wisdom and proceed with caution. But other fears drive us to behave in ways that are out of alignment with God's will for our lives. And as Jesus' disciples, he invites us not to bury our fears, not to pretend they don't exist, but to name them. And he sends his spirit upon us to help us see them, to help us discern what kind of fear are we dealing with. Is it a real danger? Are God's challenge for us to be courageous? Or to pay attention to where our trust is weak and needs to be strengthened? And we have this great gift of having a God who actually understands our fears. The word chose, the word chose to assume flesh and enter into all the suffering we experience. God didn't have to do that. But he did so because of his great love for us, which surpasses our understanding. And Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected, to be betrayed by those he loved, and to see people he cared for die. Jesus knows the loneliness of friends deserting him when he needed them most. Yet he faced his trials with perfect trust in the Father, especially the brutality and terror of the cross, praying, not my will, but yours be done. And as Father Sean preached last week, it's Jesus' power, not our own, working in us, that holds us up where we're called to face our fears. We see this in our story today. Jesus tells the disciples that when they come before kings to testify, they shouldn't worry about what they will say because he will give them the words and wisdom that they need. He will sustain them. It's important to recognize, though, that Jesus reassures us He gives us what we need to face our fears, not for our own sakes. 
It's not so that we can have some personal growth opportunities, become the best versions of ourselves. Our passage tells us the disciples endured hardship because it gave them an opportunity to testify to him. And our fears and how we respond to them, it gives us an opportunity to testify to him by becoming more like him and our perfect trust in the Father. And trusting how he will work through us to bring his kingdom come. So thinking back again on All Saints Day. Personally, I like the accounts of Perpetua and Felicitas. If you're not familiar with them, it's two martyrs in early church tradition. And Perpetua was a young mother. She was still nursing her son when she was imprisoned for her Christian beliefs. Felicitas was a slave who was pregnant when she was imprisoned. But because pregnant women couldn't uh, be publicly punished, she prayed to deliver her child early so that she could die a martyr's death. And both of them remained true to their faith and were publicly executed. According to the written account, Perpetua herself guided the wavering young gladiator's hand with a sword to her own throat. And the remarkable faith and courage demonstrated by these young mothers, it's truly inspiring. But it's doubtful we'll ever be called to face wild beasts or swords on account of our faith. Yet that doesn't mean we aren't called to face real and profound fears. And it doesn't mean that we aren't called to testify to Jesus and how we respond. For those who fear rejection, you testify to your faith by leaning more deeply into your intimate relationships and friendships that God has placed in your life. For those who've been hurt by the church and fear being hurt again, you testify to your faith by stepping back into Christian community. For those perfectionists who feel failure, you testify to your faith by trying something new that God's calling you into, even though you feel woefully inadequate for the task. For those who live with secret sin, you testify to your faith when you confess to a priest or to a trusted friend and admit that you need help. And although in our country today we don't have amphitheaters where Christians are being martyred, it still takes courage to live as a disciple of Jesus. In our polarized climate, it takes courage to openly love our enemies, to be willing to admit when we're wrong, to be the first to apologize. It takes courage to opt out of a culture that teaches us that we need to rely on ourselves to take away our fears that teaches us we live in a world of scarcity and must work harder and harder and accumulate more and more in order to be safe. But this chasing after more and more, it means we have less for Jesus, who is the only one who can truly calm our deepest fears. And it takes courage simply to name our fears. In my case, I find I don't want to draw God's attention to them. Right? I'm afraid if I flag my fears for him, he'll see it's an area where I really need to do some work. So I think let's just better left, better left alone. Nothing to see here. As if I could hide my fears from an omniscient God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. God knows your fears. He knows what you have to be afraid of even before you do. 
And the God who chose to assume flesh and suffer alongside us invites you by the Spirit to name your fears so that he can comfort you and prepare you to face them. And in facing them, you'll have an opportunity to testify to God as you're conformed more and more to the likeness of the Son and his perfect trust in the Father. As we take a moment of silence, I invite you to ask the Spirit to help you name your fears. And consider, are there places where you need Jesus' comfort? Are there places where you need Jesus' courage? Where God might be calling you to testify to him and how you face your fears. And hear these words again. Not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. 